Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've got a great show coming up today. We've got Malcolm Drennan from the Daily Telegraph on. That's a a new site, which I love, and one of our favourite guests, Mary Hobbs, uh, writes there. Going to be a good story. How did the Daily De- Telegraph come about? What's it about? We're going to learn. Also, we've got a young man. Uh, we had an amazing letter published in the Otago Daily Times. Very thoughtful, right on point, very clearly expressed. Oh, my goodness. Written by a 15-year-old. We have the 15-year-old uh, on today to talk about the letter and his view on politics. Also, We've got Tani Webster along for Politics Explained. Thank you for listening in to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on rallycheck.radio. And don't forget, send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Always lovely to have you along. Always lovely to be a guest in your home today. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I, I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on, and the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send me a text at 2057 and you can send me an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. One of our regular guests and a great delight, and her writing impresses me enormously. Uh, she's got a beautiful writing style. She she writes beautifully. And what she writes about always interests me, and that's Mary Hobbs. And she's been publishing her work uh, on a great site, a great news site called The Daily Telegraph. And I hadn't heard of it, dailytelegraph.co.nz. And it's my great pleasure to have, I'm going to work hard on his uh, surname. Uh, it's my great pleasure to have Malcolm Trennan. Did I get it right, Malcolm? Trennan. Trenine. Trenine. 
Drenine, Drenine, Drenine. And how do you spell Drenine? Because so fascinating. Uh, D for David, R E A N for November, double E N for November. Trenine. It's a wonderful name. And you think it's Irish, you were telling me before we came on here. Yeah. Yeah. Going back. Um, is, a it few a common, is it a common name? No, not at all. I mean, uh, I've I've pretty much met any Drenine in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> and we're all related. So, uh, yeah, it's not common at all. Ah. Um, now, tell me this. You've got this new site. You're publishing wide and far. How was it that you came to get into the newspaper? Well, I use the word newspaper advisedly because it's online, but you know what I mean. Maybe I guess I should say media. How did you get into the media business? Well, Daily Telegraph was was really a reaction um, to government policies and the way that the mainstream media were um, reporting on issues uh, through the COVID crisis. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was basically born out of a sense of frustration with the way that the mainstream media were reporting um, during the COVID uh, pandemic, the lockdowns, etc. Um, I felt that there was a whole lot of information that was very important for New Zealanders to know that was not being. Uh, published and distributed by mainstream media at the time. And, I mean, it took me a while to figure that out. Like, I figured out that the panic was overhyped. And I figured out that the lockdown was nonsense. But it took me a long time to figure out that we were being propagandized to. Absolutely. I mean, I... Sorry, Rodney. You cottoned on to that and did something about it. What what was it that... Well, did you start off with the panic thinking, this is rubbish? Or when did you... When were your eyes opened, I guess, is what I'm asking. When were your eyes opened to, A, the government was feeding us BS, and B, that the media were just peddling it without contradiction? Well, it took me a while as well, Rodney. Um, mm-hmm. And that's because I've always I've always been a Labour supporter. Mm-hmm. And I've always, I voted for Jacinda twice. And um, when the first lockdown happened, I, at that stage, my son was a three, was three months old and I was kind of like totally immersed with looking after him and, you know, making bottles at three o'clock in the morning and things like that. I was, my, my eye wasn't really on the ball as to what was happening at the beginning, but I had all my faith and trust in Labour and Jacinda. Um, as the first lockdown happened, I totally supported that. Uh, I just had this feeling that, uh, you know, this was a very serious situation that we were facing. Um, I had faith and trust in the government and the health authorities to to make the right calls, and I just kind of followed along. Um, during the during the first lockdowns and things like that, I've, I've I'm really lucky because I've got a 
a great little brother and um, a lot of cousins who are very onto it and a lot more awake than I was at the time. And they were feeding me information that was just not getting into the media. Um, and in particular, there were there were uh, things like the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm-hmm. And I, most New Zealanders have probably never heard about that declaration, but for me that was a very important document. When I first read it, I couldn't believe that there were all these um, scientific um, mass, you know, people people who are very highly regarded in, in science and health around the world um, who were working in some of the uh, great universities of the world who were um, who were saying that, look, what governments are doing is wrong. Um, the vaccination should be targeted. There shouldn't be lockdowns. So they should be focusing on the people who are really at risk. Um, and I was I, I watched a lot of videos from Dr. Malone, who I hold in very high regard. And mm-hmm. if anyone knows about mRNA technology, it's him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this kind of like total difference from what the media and the government were saying um, to what a whole lot of other credible experts internationally were saying. And I slowly woke up, um, and I, as I said before, I was kind of um, I, my 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 attention was focused on on looking after my son at that time, but my brother and cousins. Uh, feeding me this information because normally I'm actually quite awake. I'm, I'm quite aware of what's going on in the world, but COVID was a bit different and I'm exactly like you. It took me a while to, to really wake up. And I suppose the changing point was definitely the, the mandates because as I said before, I'd, I'd voted Labour and all my life, including twice for Jacinda. And I totally believed her when she said that uh, she would not, impose any um, adverse uh, consequences for anyone who chose not to take the vaccine. And so as I got to learn more information, I'd made up in my mind that I'm not going to take that vaccine. Mm. And I was very comforted by Jacinda's words at the time that it won't affect me or my family if we make that choice. But as we all know, a few months later, she completely uh, went uh, back on her word and her undertakings to people. I felt I felt betrayed. I, 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 she totally betrayed what she said, and because I'd invested a lot of um, of uh, my hopes and dreams for New Zealand and Jacinda making it a better place, I felt really, really, this is shocking. How can she? Um, how can she do this to to people? And uh, so that was the the mandates of really the turning point for me. But before that, I was, you know, I was I was pretty much um, towing the government line, but definitely had made up my mind that I wasn't going to take the vaccine. Well, there were a lot of us in that boat, but only one of us started a media outlet yeah yes so my point was i saw through the lockdown i saw through the panic i should say and clarify 
I saw through that day one, um, mainly because I've spent a long time studying uh, the so-called global warming um, problem. And I knew from 1992 that we were being fed rubbish. So I was well aware that governments and bureaucracies and scientists are well capable of cherry-picking data and manipulating uh, their studies to advance their agenda, to advance their research interests, and to scare us. Um, and so when this scare came along, I was extremely sceptical because I think if there was a real scare also, the government would be wanting to calm us down, not scare us up. And so, but what I wasn't aware of for a long time was that our, I call them the legacy media, who I recognized had a left-wing bias, but I hadn't realized that they would, in a time of public health so-called scare, just run a government narrative to the exclusion of any debate or discussion. Mm. And it took me a long time, even beyond that, once I realized that the media were deplatforming people and not allowing critics and not even providing what other news sources around the world were prepared to put up, right? It was like you're in Albania um, <laughs> in terms of the news. And then the yeah. idea that Google and Facebook and Twitter would censor people, that was just beyond my imagining because I, I, I was busy reading online as everyone was, and I didn't realize that I was being shaped even as I was searching. Mm. And that, to me, was horrific. What do they think? We're lab rats or something. It was, it was the arrogance and the demeaning of us. And yet it never occurred to me to do what you'd... I was actually quite scared by it. Scared by the by the big tech um, approach? Yes, and also yeah. scared that if you stood up, they would destroy you. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. <laughs> Just for having a different yeah. opinion or asking a question. So you went out there, and I have to say, um, boldly and bravely, and set up a website. What motivated that? That was just that to me is an extraordinary decision, and in so many ways, because you don't have a background in it particularly, do you? You just went and did it. Yeah, I mean, I I I have been involved with website development in a as, a as a sort of like a um as, as a hobby really for for 20 years for a long time um i just really interested in in the platforms and the development of uh, websites and when when the as i said when the mandates happened my my um awakening was it was um, was pretty quick Within 24 hours, I'd say that I'd gone from a a Jacinda supporter to someone who was very, very disappointed, and I felt that I had to do something. And I thought, 
for a few days what what are the skills that I have. I didn't know anybody in the freedom movement um, over the years now. Obviously, I know and have con- connections with a lot of people, but um, at the time I started the website, I, I was sort of like on my own and didn't have any contacts or didn't know who was the personalities that were involved um, and the groups, et cetera, in the freedom movement. So um, I, I just thought, what can I actually do with the skill sets that I have and the time that I have? Um, and I thought, well, I have this talent for website development. Um, and in actual fact, I had, I've, I've, I've had the domain name dailytelegraph.co.nz reserved for some years. Mm-hmm. It's always been in the back of my mind because my my faith and trust in the mainstream media uh, declined was declining well before COVID. Yeah, there were, um, yeah, that, and I just thought, well, someone's got to start up an, an independent website for news, um, and and then I just thought, I've got to do it. Um, now is the time to do it, um, and so I just published it. And you're right. I mean. Uh, in those days, anyone who spoke up was vilified and attacked. And I mean, I was I was just a normal Kiwi bloke who who was just um, really happy living a private life with my family. And then, but knowing that when this website would be published, I'd I'd be you know out there in the public and well not in the public but publicly known, and it was way out of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, but I felt, as I said before, very quickly my my um, my my uh, the urgency that I felt that New Zealanders needed to know information that I that I knew and that other people were sharing, because it was completely different from what the mainstream media was saying. And um, when I woke up, I I came to this realization that there's something actually really wrong here. That, you know, it's not. There's something actually quite evil going on mm. um, with what's happening, and I just felt that that's where my talents were, and that's where I could contribute the best that I could. Well, good for you. Do you know that image <clears throat> in 1989? This just occurred to me at Tiananmen Square, where there was that one student standing in front of those tanks. Yeah, and it moved the world, and it still does. You can't look at that image. Mm. and not have a shiver down your spine. Yeah. Because it's a lone man standing Mm. up for a principle in front of tanks. Yeah. And in a funny way, well, it's not funny, in a peculiar way or a a different way, we have seen this with some brave souls in New Zealand because there's lots of us who disagreed with the policies and Mm. questioned the narrative. But there were very few of us that stood in front of the tanks. And you're one of them. Because in putting up that site, you published you 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 published a big target on your back, like yeah. that one one student. And you would have known that. Not at the time, but there were there were other people who were speaking out and I saw how the media were were attacking them. And so with uh, probably within a month of publishing Daily Telegraph in October 2021, um, I knew that uh, there was a huge target on anyone's back that that stood up. And that's where 
<laughs> oh, it's, gosh, it's so, I mean, I'm sorry to dwell on it. I hope I'm not reliving any trauma for you, but no. that's where things get so dystopian and like you're in a movie because you're thinking anyone who says something counter to the government narrative, which is so clearly wrong and so clearly driven by some alternate agenda that we can't see, anyone who questions that, the media become like feral dogs mm. attacking attacking that people, that organization in the mm. most outrageous way. And you're thinking, that's not their job. Absolutely. It's the whole the whole behavior of the media during the the COVID uh, episode uh, was disgusting uh, on so many levels. Mm. Um, they attacked people who had a different view. And even if these people were experts in the field, um, in the medical field or, or the virology field and the public health field, anybody who had a different opinion was personally attacked and ridiculed. Um, they suppressed information that was very important for New Zealanders to know about the the nature of the vaccine, its novel yeah. um, technology, and yeah. um, the testing procedures that Pfizer or lack thereof that yeah. Pfizer had had used. And I mean, I think trust and faith in the mainstream media had been declining, but I think it it's accelerated through. Oh, it fell. It fell COVID. off the cliff. It fell yeah, off the cliff. And it fell, fell off the cliff for politicians. It fell off the cliff for um, public health experts. It fell off the cliff for doctors. Um, yeah. I don't trust my local doctors now um, because they were on board with it. And I look at them now and I'm thinking, who are you working for? And mm. then you see those brave doctors who stood against it. And even yeah. at the time when you're wondering whether you're right or wrong, you just admire, admired the fact that they were prepared to speak out. And literally a doctor says, I'm not sure pregnant people should be taking this. Mm. Well, that was exactly the right advice. They shouldn't be taking it. Yeah. They get deregistered and vilified in the media. And the media turn on them like a pack of hounds. Yeah. And it's there's not a, one yeah. journalist or one outlet saying, well, hang on. Why does this doctor think this? Yeah, it's it's just they they totally um, neglected their their principles of of balance and impartiality, mm. and and instead they took money from the government and attacked the other side or the or people who had different opinions. And what what gets me is that the mainstream media um, sort of sit around and they think why why is the trust and um, and uh, credibility of the organi organizations decreasing. And they don't seem to think that it's anything that they do. It's it's people who are attacking them as, quote, disinformation mm. agents. But it's actually the way that they are – because the, the, what, the, the reality is that, 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 that we've had the internet now for 25 years 
and they and they're still struggling to come to terms with the fact that people can find the information um their own information at the click of a mouse button mm -hmm. and quite often or sometimes that information is completely the opposite of what the mainstream media are trying to pump into your mind 24 7 and yeah i, I mean it's the, the, just the way that they attack people i, I just felt it was very dis distasteful but it's just like digging they did like digging their own grave mm. and it's very sad i mean i i take i take no pleasure in in the in the downfall or in the continued downfall of the mainstream media mind me neither um, yeah me neither. but yeah it's self-inflicted my great pleasure you know when i'm thinking back to the 80s and 90s my great pleasure was reading the newspapers listening to morning report listening to checkpoint watching the tv news watching the home show i absolutely loved it and i was omnivorous i would read every article because i want to read things that i weren't interested in and i'd yep. often become interested in them and i i valued the news enormously and i'd get overseas mm. magazines and now um i'm hugely disappointed mm. um and that's why I'm interested in your webpage. And of course, the same thing has been done with Radley Check Radio. Um, yeah. You know, to set up these alternative channels, not mm -hmm. taking pleasure in it, but almost out of desperation. Yeah. You're dead right, Rodney. I mean, I, as you know, I, 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 like I said, this, this was a, way out of my comfort zone i was very happy with my life um in terms of i was living the average kiwi blokes the, living the dream of the average mm. kiwi bloke and the last thing that i ever expected was to be able or not to be able but to be put in a position where i i had to stand up against the the this huge um um you know gang i think gang is basically what you gang. call them gang of between the government and the media it was so wrong so wrong on so many levels you're and, yeah you're on rally check radio it's real talk with rodney hyde and i'm talking to malcolm and it caused malcolm trinan yeah you got to allow i have a disability <laughs> listeners um I've, my son's been diagnosed as verbally dyspraxic and I realize it's what I have. I find talking surprisingly very hard work and oh. I struggled to make um, sounds. I hadn't realized this until my son suffered the same thing. And um, when I was in politics, people would attack me because they think I'd be making fun of people's foreign names or marry names and the fact of it was i was struggling to do it right and i can hear the name over and over and over again and i still can't say it and i can't even hear it properly when people tell me their name for some reason then i can't make the sound and um the other thing i find because of this verbal dyspraxia which i have slightly my son had it quite badly 
he's getting better now, he's nine, is it makes talking exhausting, which is a strange thing too, because I have to so concentrate. So I apologize, Malcolm, um, no, and to listeners. Because, um, you know, I'm playing the victim card. I'm not trying <laughs> to be rude or abusive or I'm not being lazy. Um, yeah. you, you have put up the web page. Yeah. And like I look at it now, you've got a huge amount of content. Yes. I mean, there's more stuff to read on your webpage when I went up this morning. And for listeners, it's dailytelegraph.co.nz. Is that right? Correct, yes. Um, when I Google it, by the way, it won't come up, mm. which is truly, truly shocking. I had to go and find it. Um, Mary Hobbs had sent me an email with her latest piece some time ago and I was trying to find it to look over it this morning and I googled it couldn't find it anywhere and so I had to go back to Mary Hobbs's email so you've actually got to type it in dailytelegraph.co.nz to get to the site how crazy is that now um how did you end up put the web page up I get that you've got the skills how did you end up generating the content back in October 21? Well, the very one of the first things that I did was I um, I sent an email to Linda Wharton. Oh, she's so lovely. Yeah, the, the great Linda Wharton. Mm. And um, I, I said to her in the email, I said that I just started up a new website. Um, here it is. Um, I'd, I'd like to publish people who have opinions that are different from the narrative and the mainstream media position and the government's position to give a fuller picture. Um, could you help or do you have any suggestions? And I think Linda um, put a put a sort of a post on her Facebook page because at that stage she had tens of thousands of yes. um, people on her page or in her group, and when she did that, I had a huge amount of people contacting me, including uh, Dr. Guy Hatchard, um, the great Dr. Guy Hatchard. The great Dr. Guy Hatchard. Yeah. And um, so that's how it really started was was through that one post. I, just, I was just blown away with all the people that were contacting me and saying they'd like to write stuff and, and contribute. Um. And so that's how initially the ball got rolling with with content, um, and the at that stage Daily Telegraph wasn't uh, being suppressed by big tech as it is now. As you as you described, you if you type in Daily Telegraph now or any any even the exact um, uh, title of a of a um, article on Daily Telegraph, you'll never find it on on Google. And in fact, uh, you'll find the first five or six pages are all mainstream media outlets from New Zealand and around the world. So um, that's that's another example of how mainstream media get get uh, a free pass. I mean, through big tech, they just promoted left, right, and centre. Um, but yeah, so it started with Linda Wharton's um, call to help from Linda and from there that's how it, it really grew and in the beginning it wasn't uh, banned by Google and so um, a lot of the articles especially the early 
the early one by Dr. Hatchard where he described how I think he was he must have been one of the first persons in the world to write about the huge amount of adverse reactions that had been discovered in documents released in an, in an American court um, regarding Pfizer's trials. So back in that back in I don't know if people remember, but there was a very important court case in America where Pfizer were trying to keep the their documents secret for 75 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but a judge ordered them to release documents and, and they drip-fed the documents month by month because we're talking tens of thousands of documents. And um, among those documents were um, information about Pfizer's um, trials and the, ad, the, the huge amount of adverse reactions that they had documented. And I think... Dr. Hatchard was one of the first persons in the world to pick that up and write an article. So that article that he wrote went absolutely viral Isn't around the great? world. Yeah, it had a that 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 one article alone had one million readers. No. Yeah. Totally. Oh no. Yeah. And even that, today, that, that is beyond. Yeah. Any that's like. That's like that fellow playing that song, Rich Man North of Richmond. It just took off, right? Absolutely. You took off. Yeah. I, and it was unbelievable. And, um, you know, the the um, um, the reach, I think at that point, it's the, the government would have seen the traffic that was being drawn to Daily Telegraph. And they probably became aware of Daily Telegraph at that point. Um, and this was probably two months after I started it. Um, and then the subsequent um, two or three or four articles that Dr. Hatchard wrote um, attracted, you know, hundreds of thousands, many hundreds of thousands of readers. So from from about six months after Daily Telegraph was published and and having had, the, you know, the, the huge amount of readership for Dr. Hatchard's work at that point, um, I think that's when the breaks went on, and, and then the government. This is just speculation from on my part, but I'm pretty sure it's what happened. The government would have um, talked to the big tech platforms and said, "Hey, we've got to suppress this website." And um, yeah, so it was it was a um, process that has now been it's ongoing. They're continuing to suppress it because the one source of truth cannot handle. You know, differing points of view or other sources of information and fact, because truth is not really fact. No. Um, truth is subjective. Mm. Fact is objective. So, the one source of truth doesn't like facts. Mm. Have they tried to take down? I don't know what the phrase is. The domain or the whole. DailyTelegraph.co.nz. Have they come after that? Yeah, there was a period. Yeah, there was a period of about two weeks. Um, I think it was earlier this. No, it was last year. Um, There was a period of about two weeks where the website went down, went offline, um, and I was scrambling. Luckily, I back it up. It's back. The the website's backed up daily. but I had to reconfigure the servers, some some of the server um, aspects, and beef up the security. But um, I can't I can't say for sure 
who or what caused that, um, but it was very suspicious. Um, so, yeah, it has been down. It has been, but but since then it's been um, operating without without uh, any issues now. And have you been ignored by the legacy media, or have you been attacked? Well, I th- when when the when the website first came out, uh, there was a hit piece on me mm-hmm. um, in the leg- legacy media, which was completely false because the hit piece um, presumed that I was a, a white supremacist. Um, <laughs> but in, in, as you can see, you don't look very white. No, I'm not white. Um, <laughs> my mother's a Tongan. My my father's a Kiwi New Zealander, and my mother's a Tongan. So that made me, you know, that made me laugh and made a. It was, it's, it should have been in the uh, in the comedy section, but um, but apart from that, I think the, I the, suppose the, I suppose you know, yeah. a yeah. half Tongan could be a one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, aren't they? Uh, well, I mean, they're comical, aren't they? Oh, it's comical, and um, so that, that there hasn't been anything then. That would have that would have been the first or second, no, the second month after I it, it was published, and. What they're doing now is they're totally ignoring it, and I think that's actually the right strategy for them to take is just to completely ignore Daily Telegraph because when people come, if they if they focus or or look at Daily Telegraph and attack it, it's only going to drive people to the website. Yes, and then people come to the website and find that it's not actually right wing mm. uh, misinformation; it's actually just this different point of view. Because the website has, you know, sports sections as well, mm. um, art and entertainment, the normal things that mainstream media use to hook in um, readership. Um, so, yeah, I think that that initially they were kind of like, "Oh, what do we do about this and this website?" They attacked it, but I think that's um, that's not the right thing. What the, what they should actually do is totally ignore Daily Telegraph, which is what they're doing. When I last for for so long, when I was preparing for this interview, I quickly googled your name, and yeah. I found down a little bit a funny hit piece. Yeah, on a blog by David Farrier. Yeah, that that's the one I was referring to, and it's quite funny because they clearly take the worst picture from a video that they could have you. Well, it wasn't wasn't even me. It's not you. No. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, it looks like this terrible picture, and then I was going to say, they must have whitened the guy up or something because it doesn't look like you. It's not you. No, that's why I was saying it was so comical. It was so (laughs) ridiculously wrong. He he was saying, he said in the hit piece that I had um, a YouTube channel of one million subscribers at, at that point in time i didn't even have a youtube channel and that screenshot is of somebody in the uk delhi telegraph not me but it that that just shows you how comical it was and um but that yeah they they, they used david ferrier in the beginning to do these silly hit pieces on even linda wharton the great linda wharton and the great dr hatchard he, he was doing hit pieces on everybody um but he's gone a bit quiet lately. I don't know what's happening. But well, I yeah. recall. I recall from the thing it was like um, you. He had you 
I think from memory questioning the um that there might be adverse effects. Yeah. <laughs> and this was his big this guy is spreading misinformation. He yeah. is saying that there could be adverse effects from this vaccine. Ho ho ho. How stupid is he? What a terrible yeah. thing he's doing because he's telling people that the vaccine may in fact affect you adversely. And it's like, well, you would go a bit quiet if you were running that line back a year or two, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the 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 things he was criticizing you for have come to pass. Exactly, and and this is the I'm thing so really, struck. Yeah. I'm so struck, but because I saw that picture and I thought yeah. I can see what they've done. They've taken a YouTube shot of the worst possible screwed up face that you could imagine in a YouTube yeah. shot. Yeah, and then and then I can see you, listeners can't. And then you came on, and I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking. <laughs> That's not the picture I had from that hit piece. And then I'm yeah. thinking, when you said you're half Tongan, I'm yeah. thinking, now that I think about it, they sort of whitened the face. Wow. <laughs> but they had the wrong yeah. guy. Photoshopped, yeah. No, totally wrong. It was, it, when I read the hit piece, it was like so comical. It was like laughable. And um, it, there were so many things in there that were wrong um, and, and incorrect. I, I take it now when they do a hit piece on someone standing for local government, I take it as a thing of who to vote for. Yeah. Um, I never read the article, but if they're attacking someone, I think, oh, I'll yeah. vote for them. Um, Absolutely. And what are your plans now that, well, so called from the media perspective and the government perspective, heading into an election? Yeah. We're over COVID. Um, yeah. What are your plans now for the Daily Telegraph? And I'm going to tell listeners it's the dailytelegraph.co.nz. What are your plans look looking forward? I know you sort of set it up. It was all about countering the narrative and the single source of truth, but mm. it's become something. What are your plans for it looking forward? Well, it's interesting, Rodney, because um, you mentioned before we were over COVID, but but I, I've just noticed in the last week there's been a couple of uh, warning signs that are happening in America and Canada where some areas have actually brought back the mask mandate. Mm -hmm. um, and Joe Biden has been talking about a, quote, new vaccine mm -hmm. that, that will be recommended for everybody for COVID. And I'm thinking, hey, where is all this coming from all of a sudden? Because Biden had said a few months ago, COVID is finished. Um the world's been uh, focused on other events and things, and then suddenly they're now talking about a vaccine and and things. And I I, I don't know if the COVID thing's going to go away. It may may rear its ugly head again for for political reasons um, yes. in America. I I feel America. that. I, yeah. I I feel it's not over. And if it's not COVID, it'll be something else. And we've got yeah. the global boiling we've got now. That apparently the Earth is boiling away and it's cooking. And yep. then Mary Hobbs wrote a, a piece that touched me because of something that I have personally experienced, which is the sexualization of children through the education yeah. system. Shocking. And, and it's coming down from the UN, as she rightly pointed out. Here's what the UN is saying. And that's, there's a whole lot of things 
that are happening that yeah. to go to the legacy media isn't there or you're a Nazi if you're Jelly Kelly J. Keane, you're a Nazi or you support Kelly J. Keane, you're a Nazi um, or a white supremacist or both. Um, so there's an ongoing need for media that gives a wide range of views and reports news from a wide range of sources without trying to propagandize. Yeah. Yeah. It's COVID's uh, up in the air at the moment, but it seems every day there's something crazy in the world happening. It's more crazier than the day before. Mm. Um, and those issues need new they, – they also need voices because um, the mainstream media are just always pushing one, one narrative. They never provide a balanced view. So – you mentioned before about what is the future going forward for Daily Telegraph. It's just to give people that voice. We allow people to comment um, on on articles and of any persuasion, political persuasion. Um, there's a lot of work to do. I, I mentioned before that there was something evil about COVID and the way that the, that the world was and our government were, was responding for to it. Um, that the COVID was a means to an end. They're going to use other means to get to the end. And the end is the complete control of individual people, um, the destruction of Western um, individual human rights, of the, you know, to privacy and freedom of movement. So the, the, the Daily Telegraph will continue to... Um, to provide a role as we go through these crises that every day seem to be happening with greater um, greater intensity. So, how the, wonderful the, is it that you have done that for us? And the funny thing about what you just said ah, I used that word funny, it's not the right word. The amazing thing about what you just said is. It's fully out in the open because when you read the UN agenda on anything, yeah. Yeah. it's an agenda always for totalitarian control of the individual. Yes. And it might be, you know, gender roles. It might be climate. There's always a reason uh, this big thing that's happening and mm. their go-to position is the need to control our emissions, control how far we can travel, control our money, and it's actually all there in black and white. Yeah. They're not hiding it. No. No. And, it, you know, the mainstream media dismiss these, these um, facts as conspiracy theories, but they, like you say, it's all out there. In black and white, <laughs> black and, and white. in their own documents, and you know, not just written word. You can find any video on YouTube where the officials or so-called leaders of these organisations are, are telling the audience, mm. "This is what we mm. want to do, mm. and what we're going to do." And isn't it wonderful to have Twitter now somewhat released 
um joe rogan jordan peterson um yourself um guy hatchard linda Wharton. there are these brave souls around the world and at this stage we can still access them and you also feel as though growing out of the community and growing out of their followers is a resistance to yes. the thought that people can take control of our minds i tell you what i particularly love about it um it was stark for me at the protest, at the parliamentary protest, where sadly I was only there for a day. Oh, my goodness. Mm. The greatest day of my life to yeah. see that. But what was so stark to me was it was almost like a complete random group of Kiwis. Yeah. There were people who were rich beyond your dreams. There were people that were poor beyond you could imagine being that mm. uh, without there were every racial group there were religious people there were different religions there were there were greens there were act voters there were marxists it was everything but they were united in the view that mandates were wrong yeah and they came together and i had two thoughts out of that one was that contemporary politics is designed to divide us rather than unite us. So everyone's set up as rich versus poor, or, yeah. and, the, and the media play along, uh, Maori versus non-Maori, foreigners mm -hmm. versus locals, um, yeah. and every which way uh, they divide us. And then the other peculiar thing I thought is there must be a little bit of genetic material in us Mm -hmm. So that when we were living in tribal societies, it was yeah. very good to have 99% or something who would just go along with the tribe. Yeah. But if things change, you needed 1% who wouldn't go with the tribe. And yeah. I, that was what I noticed about that random group of people. They, The one thing they had in common is if the chief had said to them, oh, we're all going to go off and do this, and everyone in the tribe would say, yeah, let's go off and do this, and these people would say, hang on, <laughs> and that was them. Yeah. And it's like you, it's just hang on, tell me yeah. this, Malcolm, and I'm not doing this to embarrass you or anything, or I'm just wanting it to reflect on it, yeah. and what do you think happened to Jacinda Ardern? Oh, it's tough. I mean, I, I I honestly thought she would make New Zealand a better place. Um, I I I I don't know. I mean, it, it's 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 tough because for for a couple of years she she was doing really well for New Zealand. Uh, I felt, and um, I thought that uh, she would because I I I. Don't vote when I voted. When I vote, voted for her, I it was about um, you know lifting children out of poverty, um, dealing with crime, making housing afford affordable, um, just you know basically bringing back the the old New Zealand Kiwi dream. But something happened. I mean, she spent time overseas, um, and as I understand, she was working for Tony Blair. Yeah. For or with Tony Blair, I think, 
if he's one of the most evil men, in my opinion, that's ever um, that's ever had the opportunity to to lead a country. I, um, maybe she was had some um, experiences there, or or came into uh, information there while she was working for Tony Blair. But it, yeah, what happened? I mean that. Yeah, uh, like I said, I, for me it was a it was like a personal betrayal, like like a family member had betrayed me because that's yeah. I, I had had a lot of hope in Jacinda and Labour, voted Labour all my life. Um, my father's named after Michael Joseph Savage, and just that what happened, I don't know. I think it was definitely planned. We we, we all know that now in hindsight. Um, things were planned so the fact that it was planned is is whatever happened to her happened to her before she became prime minister because this plan has been afoot mm. for for a long time and COVID of course it captured every government in the western world i mean there was boris johnson yeah a conservative and a highly intelligent man and he went for it, you know, big time. And so it wasn't even uh, left-wing, right-wing, conservative versus liberal thing. No. And I've no. never seen an idea grip all governments, with the notable exception of Sweden, where yeah. the hierarchy collectively appeared to lose their minds. Amazing. And spend their days terrorizing their own population, yeah, to their population's huge detriment in terms of family life, working life, social life. Mm -hmm. um, it was absolutely tyrannical for no good reason. No, and, um, and you did, did right. The the um, the way that it was. Uh, it, 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 you know, it was obviously to a lot of people it seemed to be coordinated, a coordinated um, international mm. um, response to COVID because there are so many examples of the politicians like Boris and Jacinda and uh, Scott Morrison and, and Joe Biden, they're all using the same words. Um, I've got a, I've got a, I, I have a knowledge of how that can work <clears throat> because I was an environmental scientist student i wouldn't put myself up there as credentialed but i studied it a lot and i followed yep. it a lot and i have been dismayed by the global warming story and um i've watched that unfold and what was amazing to me was that climate science was never a thing and there were literally scientists so-called that you could count on your hands in yes. the world and they all work together and it literally spread out from that and yeah. there were very few people and and the people that were in it were attracted to it as a means to a political end but it was a shockingly small number mm -hmm. and when you look at public health officials around the world there's very few of them. You know, you can they, you know, they can have a conference and all fit in one convention center. 
and you're talking to the world's advisors to governments and they can all meet up, they can all email each other and they can all chit chat, chit chat, chit chat. And then you're sitting there as a politician and when you're a politician, you can't quote, do your own research. You know, you can't double check things and you're very much um, prey to your experts and officials. And so they're sitting there giving you, you know, you literally can get a 10-minute briefing and have to make a decision. Mm. So I can sort of see that if all those officials, if they all went mad, if all the officials and public health got an idea in their head, and you can imagine them all following, you know, some official in the UN, I can sort of see it. Um, I guess what I struggle to understand is that you might be fooled at the beginning, but you couldn't be fooled all the way along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what leads yeah. me extremely. And and then I don't understand why the opposition. Yeah. You know, there's not one MP standing up and saying, look, fellas, yes. ladies, we all went wrong with this bullshit, but hang yeah. on, you know, we've got to admit now that was bullshit. No one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, I'm just interested to close because yeah. this is fascinating to me personally, but what sustained you? Because more you have more than anyone, you've gone out there with a web page, you've stood up to the tanks, that line of tanks, sitting there with your just yourself. You've done it with a little baby yeah. in your house. What sustained you through this to keep sane? It's just a, a, a love for friends and family and, and for New Zealand. It's that I have a deep love for for my country. I believe New Zealand for so long was the greatest country in the world. Um, I travelled around a bit, and I knew that from travelling overseas, particularly to Asia, places like that, that we were so lucky in New Zealand. My grandfather fought in World War II. Um, He risked everything along with tens of thousands of other New Zealanders so that we could all enjoy the benefits and fruits of of living in a free country. Um, What motivates me a lot too is my son and my family, um, my parents and my my brother and his kids. We we can't, we need to leave a country for our children that is as great as the same country that I had the privilege and many other New Zealanders had the privilege to grow up in. And we, we we need to know that there are that there is definitely an evil, corrupted agenda which is happening in the world to destroy and take everything that we love and cherish. Um, that's that that's my motivation, Rodney. And you know, where do I get my motivation from? I get it from people like you, from Mary Hobbs. Um, Guy Hatchard, uh, Matt Shelton. There's so many. I can't. I, um, even so you know, Ru- yeah, Russell Coates. 
that that guy's yeah. a legend. You know, when he came down for the protest to see to see a man of that stature in New Zealand talking out in the media was was a great uh, inspiration to me. Yeah. Well, there um, you have there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is speaking truth to power. Just a man, family man, private man, just speaking truth, just looking at the facts and saying. If I'm wrong, show me where I'm wrong. What a wonderful and honest man. That's Malcolm. I'm going to have to ask you, Malcolm, to say your last name, Malcolm. Dranine. Dranine. Malcolm yeah. Dranine. Thank you. Uh, and he's got the webpage. Go to it. Bookmark it. It's called thedailytelegraph.co.nz. You won't find it on Google. Try it. I tried it this morning. And you heard him. And I think Malcolm would be the first to admit, like anyone, that he can be wrong and he can have wrong views and uh, get it wrong, make mistakes. We all do that. But that doesn't mean that we shut each other down or stop listening or stop communicating and stop talking because that's how we develop as a society. In fact, that's what his grandfather went and fought and risked his life for, like all of his cohort, what they went through. And they understood what free speech was, and we understood it coming through the Cold War, what free speech was and what democracy meant. And it's not what we've got now. And what happens now is you put your head up above the parapet and the so-called free press try and take it off. It's truly disgusting. So go and support um, Malcolm and his contributors. You'll love it. I like the webpage. I enjoy reading it. I don't agree with a lot of it. I disagree with some of it. Um, but I appreciate that someone with an idea can write it down, send it off to Malcolm, and if he approves it, we can read it. Whereas at the moment, if they write something like Mary Hobbs says, questioning adverse events or Guy Hutchard or questioning the UN agenda on the sexualization of young children, no one will publish it in New Zealand except the Daily Telegraph. It's extraordinary. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. Send me a text, please, at 2057. Email me at inbox at Radley Check Radio. Aren't we truly blessed to have such wonderful people in New Zealand? This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. The greatest threat to our democracy and our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive honest media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions. And also, our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, so lovely to have you on this morning. And you can give us a... Give us a text at 2057 or email me at inbox at radio. Uh, it's so lovely to get your texts and emails. 
One thing caught our attention recently, and it was a great letter to the Otago Daily Times. It's almost old-fashioned, isn't it? Reading a physical newspaper or writing a letter to the editor. Um, but there it was, loud and proud, this great letter to the Otago Daily Times explaining why uh, Mr. Aaron Hawkins was wrong and the way he framed his argument. We'll come to what that argument was in a minute. But the letter itself was remarkable to be published in the New Zealand newspaper. It was remarkable that it was written. But what was truly remarkable was it was written by a 15-year-old high school boy. It's wonderful. And we have him along. We're very lucky to have Odin Callender along. Good morning, Odin. Uh, good morning. Uh, what prompted you to write this letter? Well, I was re reading the newspaper and I, ca I came across his reply. And, you know, I, look, I looked up what he'd said on Facebook and I, I found it quite, like, quite frustrating because his reply, well, well worded, was is completely nonsensical when you actually examine it let's would you like to start off by reading your letter to us and then we'll go to what mr hawkins had to say and who he is sure aaron hawkins has said both like many before them and sadly more to come the University of Otago will decide today whether to back their work with mana whenua or buckle to the pressure of white supremacy, unquote. This is a, is a black and white fallacy, that those who do not actively choose mana whenua are by default choosing white supremacy. That's what he's implying. He also implies this false dictum, this, this is a false dictomy that ignores that there are other options. Further, your use of the term white supremacy is an emotionally loaded put-down of those who might not agree with you. In his reply, ODT 15.7.23, you assert without evidence that the inequalities in the health system are caused by systemic racism, but he uses the term white supremacy. And But he, do, he does... Okay. This assertion, too, requires evidential support. This entire issue is an excellent example of the, de of the degeneration that the democratic process has suffered. Instead of intelligent, rational discuss discussion that we're supposed to have, we have people like you who win arguments by being the loudest and through constant, never-ending emotional manip manipulation. And that's signed, ladies and gentlemen, and to our lovely listeners, that's signed by Odin Callender, 15, pupil, Otago Boys High School. Odin, can I congratulate you on a beautifully written letter and an extremely logical argument that could be applied to a whole lot of politicians, not, not just Mr. Hawkins, right? Yes, it, it could. Actually, it could be applied to nearly every politician right now, certainly the whole of both, of both national and labour. Yes. Now, <clears throat> Mr Hawkins was your previous mayor down there in Dunedin, was he not? Yes, he was. 
And um, he was only a one-term mayor, but here he is. And as you say, they do this great rhetorical trick. And you see it all the time where they browbeat you and they say, oh, if you don't support co-governance or manafina with this or manafina with that, you're a Nazi or a white supremacist. Like, it's completely, as you say, black and white or binary. You can't say, well, I disagree with you, but hang on, that doesn't make me a white supremacist. And that's your point, right? Yeah, there's a few other things that, I, um, that I'd like to say now that I didn't get to say in the letter. Please. Base constraints. Well, for one thing, much of what many politicians seem to say today is they don't, at least not a lot of the time, they don't argue for, say, the law that they're trying to pass. They, I mean, they do, but they subtly imply that if you don't agree with them, you are a Nazi, a white supremacist, a racist, something, which is called the ad hominem fallacy, attacking the argument instead of the argument, which is just, yeah, it does not, it's a fallacy. It, it, you can't win an argument by doing that. Also, uh, with Aaron Hawkins, as I said, it's an example of emotional ma manipulation, specifically appeal to spite. The the point of his, of when he said that it's a choice between white supremacy and mana finua, is that he's implying that anyone who think who thinks differently to him, who disagrees, is morally equivalent to a white supremacist, which is absurd. He's he's basically he's basically comparing disagreeing with him. He, he's saying that's equivalent to being a Nazi. Mm. Or a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, but which is completely ridiculous. We see that all the time because another example would be, oh, you don't support this taxing of methane or stopping this development, <clears throat> therefore you don't care for the planet. You don't support the current thing, therefore you're a racist. Yeah, or you don't support mandates, Therefore, you don't care about Nana, right? And w I think you're right that we're seeing this sort of argument over and over and over again. And that's what struck me about your letter. Because if politicians followed your rules of logic, most of their argument would quickly evaporate and they'd have to get down to the substance, would they not? The problem, there, problem there is that there usually isn't much substance. They're using yeah. the rhetoric to cover it up. Yeah, like, uh, for, for example, the gun laws, that, that was not a real solution. I, I thought about it for... I heard of that. I thought of it for about 30 seconds before realizing, no, that won't work. And yet, no, it was, it was passed anyway. Regulating people who have licenses for guns is not going to stop people who don't have licenses. Mm. But what did, you thought, what did you thought of this? I think it was that old prime minister that we had. Tell me this, um, Odin. 
what is politics one of your interests or is this just a sideline because you seem to follow it you know about the gun laws and you thought about them and you followed it that wouldn't be usual for your 15 year old colleagues at school would it or is it a particular interest of yours or is it just something you dabble with um yeah i'd say i am interested in politics i i'm not sure how interested uh my fellow students are although they don't seem just based on a couple of conversations i've had ones i know don't seem to be as good at not just accepting the current thing mm. and where did you develop your great understanding of logic and knowing for example uh i being able to identify fallacies in an argument such as mr hawkins put up um well i've i've read a great deal of books do you read a lot yes when, when you've watched involve logic i have i think although i think i i have also just always been into that to some extent mm. and do you read everything or do you read a particular style of book or type of book uh what do you mean by everything i, well, I, I don't i don't read you, every genre of book don't read, yeah so what book what type of books interest you do you read non-fiction or fiction if uh, you read non-fiction what sort of do you read historical books or do you read books about politics or science or logic philosophy um, I'm mainly interested in books and science. Yes. Uh, I, I, also, I also enjoy science fiction. Yes. Fantasy as well, but usually science fiction. And where do you get your books from that you read? Library. Library. The school library or the public library? The Dunedin Public Library. Nice. And um, what's in recent times the best book you've read um, i'm not sure yeah, i've read a lot of books that i i don't think i have a i've never had a single favorite book okay because i'm funny i always have i always have a favorite book and it's usually one i've just read and then i've I get on, I read my next best book. So I'm always interested in what people was their best book because then it gives me a clue for what I will read next. Tell me, um, why did you send the letter? Uh, because I thought that by, by sending it, I could in, increase the collective rationality of the population of New Zealand by some microscopic amount. Yeah. <laughs> well, you help you help me because you see, I think the rest of us are swayed somewhat by repetition. We're swayed somewhat by what lots and lots of people say. And we don't want to be seen as a bad person. And what your letter did was cut through that and said, hang on. This guy's argument is trying to manipulate you and others to agree with him without actually making an argument, which is your point. 
you know, speaking of not making an argument, you know, Aaron's and many other politicians' actual arguments to the extent that they exist, they don't normally they don't make any sense at all. It's it's usually it goes something like this: I declare it premise X to be true. I don't does not provide any evidence for how or why it's true, just says that it is. Therefore, insert nonsensical train of logic here. My conclusion is some completely absurd thing about co-governance or something. <laughs> and I say, hang on a minute. I don't like that policy for these reasons. And then they point the finger at me and say, Nazi or Ku Klux Klan or white supremacist, right? Yeah, it's a bad faith discussion. It's a very bad faith discussion, and uh, it's becoming the predominant discussion that's occurring. Um, we saw that. Did you follow that remarkable experience that the lady visiting from the UK, Kelly J. Keene, had? Did uh, you, did no. Did you follow yeah. that one? No, well, I don't know about that. Well, she was simply trying to explain that she didn't think men should be able to go into ladies' sports and ladies' toilets. And she got attacked in the media and by politicians for literally being associated with Nazis. Oh, well, she, she went against the narrative. She, she contradicted the current thing. She you did. Can't have that. And then it got, then it got, a terrible thing because if you can't have a reasoned discussion with someone and they keep saying what they're saying, the first thing you have to do is shut them down. So the attempt was made by politicians and by the news media and by activists to prevent her coming and then to make a big noise at her public event so no one could hear her or any of the ladies that spoke. But then comes the next bad thing. If you can't deal with an argument, the next recourse is violence. And so these women were attacked. And so your plea to use reason and proper debating and proper discussion and proper respect for those whom disagree with you, rather than calling them names, is a plea for peace, isn't it? Pretty much. Because Aaron, been... Hawk, Aaron Hawkins can't argue with you. He can only abuse you. Yeah, I, I wrote my letter. Um, when I wrote it, I was hoping to receive a reply from Aaron, however unlikely that would be, but no, he he didn't reply. And I suspect a reason for that, one reason for that may be that the, the whole you're a Nazi argument doesn't really doesn't really work on kids. <laughs> no, that's true. You could be Hitler. You, I don't know. It's probably a bad joke. Um, tell me this. Um, what are your, we're talking, we're on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, we're talking to Odin Callender, who wrote a wonderful letter to the ODT, the Otago Daily Times, got it published, more than any of us can do, so he did a great job. It was a fantastic uh, letter of reason and logic for 
Aaron Hawkins, the previous mayor of Dunedin, wouldn't be able to reply to it. He wouldn't know what to think other than to call Odin names, as we see continually in this great country of ours now. Uh, Odin, what are your plans, if any, for your future? Are you thinking about a field that you'd like to work in or study in, or is it still an open book to you? Um, right now, I, I think I'd like to become a scientist. Great. Uh, what particular scientist? Physical scientist or a social scientist? Uh, I think neuroscience. Oh, wow. That would be cool. That would be cool. And if you're in Dunedin, that's a good place to be studying it. There was a famous neuroscientist from Otago University who um, got a Nobel Prize, John Eccles. Oh. And he was a neuroscientist uh, uh, during the war years. And then he, you know, he became famous and he went off to the United Kingdom. And his area of study and expertise was how the electrical impulse travels from one nerve ending to another nerve. And he yeah. started off believing that it was an electrical jump across the nerve and there were Americans arguing that it was a chemical uh, process and he began to realize well it's electrical to the end of the nerve and then there's a, a substance called uh, colonase I think it's called and acetylcholinase which breaks it down I think I've got that right or may have it around the wrong way and he realized he was wrong famously and then went on to win a Nobel Prize in demonstrating how it was chemical. So it was he was a remarkable man, John Eccles. He should be your um he should be a man that you look into because he was a fabulous yeah. neuroscientist from Otago University from your hometown. Okay. Well I don't know whether Otago University is currently a good place to study. Well but I mean, they've somehow managed to spend over a million dollars on changing the logo. I'm yes. at a loss as to how that's even possible. Yes, but what will happen is, because you're a bright young fellow, you will find other bright young people, and you'll particularly find bright professors who want to mentor you and nurture you, and you'll find them in every university some of the wokest, dopiest universities will still have great professors in them. And you should find out, and you'll particularly find them in the physical science, and they'll be just getting on with their work. And um, if you're keen, I imagine they'll greet you with open arms. And I do agree with you. It must be a frustrating thing for them and a frustrating for, thing for students who don't agree with um, the political direction of the university administration. But that doesn't mean that science is no longer relevant. It's always relevant. It's always important. And it's very clear to me that you understand what actual science is. Yeah, science is the single most important thing, or at least one of them. I mean, I, I, I cannot even begin to understand why someone would say, and I'm sure people have said this in New Zealand, science is not important, we shouldn't spend money on it. Like, if you look, if you look around you, 
look at the look at the computer you use you're using to post to post your absurdities on social media who discovered that mm. carpenters mm. no science of is the most wonderful thing it's the very human construct and we've seen into subatomic particles and into the farthest reaches of the known universe yep. and um and as you say the technology that flows uh out of that is astonishing and i think it's my it's my understanding you can correct me i think the development of the transistor and semiconductors was a consequence of einstein's work on um for some reason i've got that in the back of my mind the transistor was invented or painted in 1947 or 48 no i I don't think no no i Einstein didn't have anything to do with with that he okay he did relativity and he also did some work on on light but nothing about electricity yeah well i'll i'll um i'll go away and check but um, the point of it is, is that that great technology of semiconductors and computers had its foundations in fundamental science that had no point at the time it was being done. And that's the point you're making, is uh, that insight that we get is amazing. Well, you're going to work very hard at school, get uh, very, very good grades. You're obviously a very bright fellow. It's a great pleasure to meet you uh in person because we read that letter and we thought it was amazing and your parents must be very proud of you for having such good values and good principles and being able to express yourself extremely well odin thank you Mm. you um you have a very good night and keep up the letter writing but don't get it don't let it get in the way of your science and your studies and you're reading because <clears throat> it's easy to get caught up in the what's it the everyday world of the political struggle and this argument and this this that argument and yes that's important because it's important on society but you never want to get to get distracted from the main game which as you say is science yeah well good night Take care, Odin. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's RadleyCheck.radio. We were talking to Odin Calendar, 15 years old. Oh, my goodness. Could teach every politician in our parliament a thing or two about how to make an argument. Uh, We could teach everyone in the journalist field what is and what is not a good argument. And in one blow, probably solved 95% of our problems. Because how many problems do we have? Well, just because there are politicians trying to inflame us and divide us and make us angry. Very good. You're on Rally Check Radio. Send us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Would you like to be a part of Reviving Honest Media? At RCR, we're on a mission to do just that. We report on critical, censored stories and hold those in positions of power to account. As Paul Brennan says, 
it's a good mission. Now there's an easy way to support RCR and at the same time receive some amazing benefits. Our Foundation Membership Club is here. As a member, you'll enjoy a host of exclusive benefits, including a daily bite-sized news digest, a backstage pass to RCR, and discounted merchandise. Find out all you need to know about our Foundation membership now at www.realitycheck.radio. You're on realitycheck.radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And my favorite part of the show, Mailbag, where I can dip in and start looking at all the letters and texts that I've got. And remember, I love getting them. This is sort of my payment. It's my reward for doing the show. No, the show's the reward itself, to be honest. Getting to talk to our wonderful guests and getting you along with me, that is the true reward. But the text and the emails is a lovely bit on top. You can text me at 2057. You can email me, inbox at radio. What do we got here? Here's one from Anne. Well, Rodney, the interview with Penny Jackson and Matthew Haig, oh, remember that, Fletcher Building, was an eye-opener and really touched my heart. Thank you, Penny, for standing strong against Fletchers who think they're untouchable. Hearing how you and the others were treated has left an awful taste in my mouth, to which I'll think twice before spending my money in their stores. Good for you, Anne. Draw close to God during these difficult times as our comforter and also a God of justice, love and hugs, Anne. Thank you. Scott, Rodney, God bless you. This is a support text for Penny Jackson. I would love to connect her as I lost my job from Fletcher's and had to sell my house and move my family. I was a commercial sales manager of Chip. I will send that note on. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Lost the house. Ah, but Chris Hipkins says, no one was coerced. Your choice. Your choice, Scott. Yeah, right. Hi, Rodney. The reason I am an incredible judge of politicians' character is because I ignore all their claimed ideologies and values. Intellectually proclaimed values mean almost nothing. The values are in the character. If the character is a totalitarian, for example, then beliefs in libertarianism will be automatically rationalized around in practice. Luxon supports weird trans rights because the career politician hasn't a spiritual bone in his body. He is no Christian or anything in character. Andrew. Interesting, Andrew. Because if your Christian values were front and center, you're right. You could never say that stuff, could you? Hmm, good point. Ruben. Yes, many a man broken down by a broken system that commits vicious character assassinations against the father using false evidence and hearsay in order to separate him from his own flesh and blood children that literally are his family and a part of him. Love to all the dads who never gave up on their own children, no matter how unfair the whole family court process is and how much it continues to treat innocent children badly and keep them separate from their long, loving, protective fathers. Stay strong for your darlings, Reuben. Thank you, Reuben. I have to say, as a MP, I became very disillusioned with the family court, which is tilted, upended, and thrown against dads. Always. Well, I had a similar experience when I tried to appeal a family court decision in the High Court. I rang every lawyer in Auckland, and not a single one would take the case or even hear a summary of my grievance. Hmm. He sounds like a good man when the children are old enough to know they will return to him, Stuart. 
it helps to believe in karma. I think you're absolutely right, Stuart. I tried that search on Google and the index it came up in both. So maybe the algorithm was influenced by people trying after hearing you. I'll try again later. Love your show, by the way, Trevor. Yes, apparently it did shift. People couldn't do it the day before and the day after it worked. Wow, Rodney, just wow. Ben Sharp's story is just unbelievable. Yes, sadly, his experience of corruption across our planet goes to depths many of us have suspected and to much worse if you researched enough. He's an amazing dad. What a warrior. Thank him for bravely sharing his journey with us, Amanda. Rodney. Rhodes Scholars is not generally known that Cecil Rhodes had a vision for recipients of his scholarship, white, homosexual, male and athletic. That was his idea of the ideal British colonizer. Thank God that has changed. Stuart, I don't know about that. Homosexual? Rodney, the corruption in New Zealand runs very deep. We've all seen this over the past few years, Lee. What can we do to help Dr. Sharp? Feeling very helpless listening to his story. We all do, don't we? And that's the awful thing about the abuse of power. That's why we should never give away such powers to people. Yes, Rodney, we will pray for you and Dr. Ben for God's glory and will to be fulfilled, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Dear Ben and children, I'm a single man, not blessed with children, but your journey has brought me to tears today. I know the universe will guide you and your children to a beautiful reunion, whereas we all are and will remain, almost regards Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. That's so lovely and heartfelt. And this from Barbara. Hi, Rodney. I'm listening to the American with the wife who works for the UN and has custody and access via New Zealand Family Court. There was a bit of a discussion on when you found the case on the Yandex platform. You queried about the censorship that put it on Yandex and removed it from the view of Kiwis. Well, during this week, Gab exposed a letter from the New Zealand DIA to Gab with an order to remove particular and specific New Zealand-related content from their Gab platform. Gab responded by refusing to comply with the DIA, as they are an uncensored American free speech platform and therefore did not have to follow any New Zealand takedown orders. I'll put it out on the internet for anyone who wants to see it. However, Rodney, if you want a copy of the takedown order from the DIA to Gab and then Gab's response to the DIA, then please make contact and I'll attach the screenshots for you as proof. The particular issue that's being allowed on the Gab platform was all about the Christchurch mosque attack, and they, Gab, are doing an in-depth investigation of it, so the Kiwis get the truth. Nice. Thank you, Barbara. Hi, Rodney, just encouraging you to stay in the word of God. We are praying for you. Thank you, and I am, and I will. You're such an inspiration to us listening to you. May the Lord bless you always, Jan and Dave. Thank you, Jan and Dave. Hello, that was a very interesting interview with Dr. Ben Sharp. Fortunately, I'm free to listen to a lot of interviews as long as my husband isn't around. You, the background people, as well as your fronters, do a wonderful job for us. Could you please give me the search engine that Ben used regarding article by Andrea Vance? Thank you for the amazing work you'll do, Valerie. It's a lovely name, Valerie. My sister's Valerie. Beautiful name. Uh, it was Yandex, Y-A-N-D-E-X. Jenny. Oh, not for reading out, so I won't read that one. Hi, Rodney, we're praying for you. For us to save this nation, we have to stand with Winston Peters. The whole nation has together and pray. Pray for Winston. God bless Jan. Janet. Hi, Rodney, I'm still feeling quite disturbed after listening to Dr. Ben Sharp yesterday and hearing about the shenanigans that go on at a high level in government departments. While these carry-ons are not new, when our media are bought and paid for, such corruption grows and festers and good people are reduced to powerlessness. The only way we can beat these bullies is to expose them at every opportunity. 
Dr. Ben Sharp is a huge man, and I applaud him for his perseverance and courage and moral dedication. But what a battle we all face. It was not nice to listen to Dr. Ben's experience, but thank you, Rodney, for exposing this and giving us all food for thought. RCR has a vital role in our society. We need to dig every bit as deep as Dr. Sharp in defense of democracy, for I believe the backroom boys of Wellington will stop at nothing to discredit this important, independent voice of the people. Stand tall, people, Janet. Thank you, Janet. That's lovely. Leighton, hello, a former Fletcher employee stuck away via vaccine mandate stuff. Would like some advice or contact. They employed someone even while they're still under notice, have some health issues around no vaccine. We will send you on to someone that can help, Leighton. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for the texts and emails. And Dr. Sharp's story was heart-wrenching totally heart-wrenching and how lucky are we to have each other on the show where we can share and we can cry and we can laugh but most importantly we can listen and we can support each other and grow in our knowledge and our wisdom and our compassion and grow together to be closer I feel very blessed to receive your texts and messages and to have this platform and this show. Very blessed indeed. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send us a text at 2057. Uh, email me, inbox at Radio. And here we are with our old favourite, Tane Webster, back to the basics in the political sandpit. Tane, what do you got? Hey, Rodney. So this week, uh, one of the questions sent in, they sent in this link. Um, it's elections.nz forward slash guidance and rules forward slash for third party promoters forward slash Register of Promoters for the 20, for 2023 general election. And the, and the page is about uh, Register of Promoters for the 2023 general election. And they wanted to know, what's the deal with this page? Like, what what is it? Do people have to register? It says here that they have to register if they intend to spend over $15,700, including GST on election advertising. Oh and there's a, there's a list of organizations and names. And what's, what's the deal with that and your experience in politics and, and whatnot? It is absolutely horrible. When when I used to stand in each election, you'd have to sign off on what money you'd spent. And my hand used to shake, right? Because um, the law was quite hard to follow. You're in the midst of a campaign. And if you get it wrong, it's very serious, particularly because you're a public figure. So this is how it works ostensibly we control how much a political party can promote itself in terms of making it fair so you can only spend it used to be I think $20,000 promoting yourself and your electorate right and that was to make it fair so quote big money couldn't pollute the election campaign Likewise, there are campaign limits on what you can spend nationwide. Also, you have to reveal 
when any who's ever given you money over a certain amount and this is always fodder uh, in an election campaign and after an election and it's i think it's even become continuous you have to be con- continually updating it now think about this it's a huge attack on free speech because you're limiting what people can say and how they can promote um themselves and how they can promote ideas that they believe in. It's said it's done for fairness, but what it does is this, diminishes our free speech, our free speech to print posters, put posters up. It also protects the existing parties. Hmm. I believe this. it's these campaign finance rules that mean it's impossible to break into our parliament because the existing political parties and the existing MPs, they've got all the publicity by virtue of being there. But if you come along and you want to stand in an electorate or start a new party, you're immediately limited by what you can spend to promote yourself, what you can do to promote yourself. And even people that want to give you money have to reveal themselves So these rules became increasingly oppressive uh, over time, and they were passed without judgment by, if you like, citizens, because it was the politicians that were in charge of them. And, of course, the politicians did the rules that suited them. They then realized that as they were restricting and restricting and restricting what candidates could do and political parties could do, they needed to restrict what private citizens could do. So now you have the absurd situation where as if a union wants to promote a particular cause in an election campaign, it has to register like it's a political party and declare where it's getting its money from and so it is transparent and accountable. All this, of course, is removing our free speech rights and entrenching the existing parties that actually already have the publicity. So, for example, if you and I, Tane, wanted to get together and spend $30,000 promoting a particular cause, or, I don't know, let's save the common house fly from torture because, you know, (laughs) people are going around swatting them and we – raised our $30,000, we would have to register like we're a political party. I mean, this is crazy stuff. But, of course, it's the end point that you get to if you start restricting how and where people can say things and how and where they can spend their Wait, own money. Does that have to be – maybe maybe do an example that's a bit more realistic, but it, it does it need to be something that relates to where you're going to be pushing – a candidate no. uh, that's in an election or a cause no. that they're talking about? or No, it could be any cause in the election period you have to register. So you might want to advocate for um, medical freedom. You'd have to register. So it's in that regulated period. It's crazy stuff. It's not necessarily and, pushing a and, candidate. And is it, what, how do they define advocate? Because they obviously don't just include anybody with a Twitter account. No, well, this is why it gets so incredibly difficult, and that's why your head hurts, 
And is, I guess it, 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 they, they probably, sorry to interrupt, is it probably people who do things like billboards and, you know, bigger things kind of. Oh, you put an ad in the paper. Yeah. That's I mean, enough. if you, you could put an ad in the paper and say, um, it could be the therapeutics bill, you know, um, we want this repealed. Well, uh, in the election period, you'd have to become a promoter and you register like a political party because you're, 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 you're promoting it. If it's you're doing very, more than very um, tough. If you're doing more than whatever it was, fifteen fifteen thousand dollars, seven hundred dollars, yeah, or you'll get prosecuted. <laughs> Isn't it? Don't you find it a bit odd that yeah. you're supposedly living in a free society? And of course, it's this idea, supposedly, that voters are stupid, and that if someone spends a lot of money promoting an idea, we'll all nod off to the um, ballot, uh, uh, the booth, and a car do do our balloting because this money was spent on it. Uh, but that's we're not that stupid. Over and over again, we sh we show ourselves to be that. More particularly, what it does, like I said, it definitely works, whether by design or um, as a consequence of protecting the existing parties from attack. Um, and why wouldn't it? Because the people that make these laws are the ones that are already there. It's not the up-and-comers. So a third party with big grassroots support and raising a lot of money can't actually spend it. A campaign can't be launched in New Zealand against a, um, a bad policy without actually having to register like you're a political party heading into an election. Um, you know, this is this is striking at the heart of a democracy, the idea of being able to stand up in the public square, the idea of being able to take out an ad, the idea of being able to take out a billboard is, is severely circumscribed. Yeah, I guess their, their, their logic would be, they would probably say something like, oh, they're worried that democracy would be at risk from people with lots of money or something like that. Well, not just lots of money, lots of time even. Um, you'll recall that it all got into trouble in 2005 because the exclusive brethren decided to help the National Party. And that all became a big thing because they were the wrong sort of people to be helping a particular political party. But why? You know, why don't we all as citizens be able to spend our time and our money as we choose, particularly on causes that we believe in? This is a fundamental right in a democracy. And, of course, what's happened is it's made it so complicated, uh, so difficult, that you just throw your hands up and say, I can't be bothered. Um, you have There's no particular expertise in the legal field to help you with this because it's such an arcane piece of law. You won't have lawyers who are sitting in their office up to date on the law around putting up a billboard if you know what I mean, and funding that billboard. They'll have to go in their way and have a look at it. And so it's an expensive business for people to get mm. involved. And so mm -hmm. we've, we've, we, it's another reason why. Well, that also, that also helps with the, the kind of existing parties because they've got people on hand who do it every Absolutely. three years. Absolutely. I had, I had a guy that helped me every election campaign and he knew the rules and he knew the laws and I'd have to look him in the eye and say, is that okay to sign? He said, absolutely. And, you know, um, we'd have a lawyer for the party that would do that as well as for the electorate. But 
if you're Joe Bloggs having a go, um, I suspect they don't comply, but no one particularly looks at it because they don't get in. But if they won the seat, I remember when I was going for the seat in 2005, I was absolutely certain that if I won, there'd be a contest. And so I had to cross every T, dot every I, um, about accounting for everything that I did. And it was a worry. Um, I still ended up being investigated. Yeah, it's just... Uh, no, no, I got investigated in, I think it was in 1999. Sorry, not 2005. In 1999, you know, I, I got interviewed by the police <laughs> about my campaign finance and about my billboards. Can you believe that? Like, it's pretty horrific. You're standing, you know, you're a citizen standing... Um, by you're a citizen standing for election and suddenly you're being interviewed by the police. And I said to them, do you think I should bring a lawyer? And they said, well, it's up to you. And I ended up bringing a lawyer and it was two hours. I was interviewed by the police. Um, and then they decided not to prosecute me. But it's very intimidating. I'd never been interviewed my, uh, uh, about breaking the law by the police in my life before, and all I was doing was standing for Parliament. All you were doing. That's the big, that's the big problem. All I was doing. If I was Minister of Justice, right, <laughs> and I crashed my car all over the limit, oh, yeah, no, that's okay. Well, oh, my goodness, you're a citizen standing for Parliament and to be fair, I was an MP at the time. Now that I think about it, but isn't that isn't that terrible that you could end up? I had two police officers interview me for two hours, and I had a lawyer present, and I was rattled by it. Mm. Mm. So that's the big deal about that. It's this idea of making. Uh, Helen Clark was a big promoter of this about making the Greens, making elections fair and big money couldn't buy an election um, and uh, people had to be regulated and all the rest of it. Um, I think, it's, I think b b the big money thing, it, it is a, it's, I don't know what the solution is right now on this, you know, while we're talking now, but it, it is, it is a legitimate issue in some countries overseas where it, it, it does buy elections, but sort of in, in, a, in a way and, well, I don't know. It, like, what do you it, think is a re what do you think would be a reasonable rule to have? Like, for example, no foreign money. No, I, I, I would, uh, I would have a total free for all. I really would. I think it's like yes, bad. It's like free speech. Yes, there'd be bad things and there'd be bad actors, but we're not stupid. And a total free for all is is preferable to restriction. And this restriction has its whole host of consequences. And don't forget that the political parties, I mean, imagine this, you as a taxpayer, you pay for a political broadcast of the parties that you oppose. And then you go to denote money to your own party that you support, and there are limits and restrictions on how and where you can do it. But they have access to the to your money that you don't even have. I mean, 
no one likes paying their taxes. No one likes paying their taxes for things that you don't agree with. But I sure as hell don't like paying my taxes so that the Labour Party can have a political broadcast. And by the way, the allocation that they get is determined on, I don't know, how popular they are, how many seats they have and all that. It's from the previous election, right? Yeah. Again, just reinforces the inability of the smaller parties to break into parliament. Um, Again, it's a brilliant design. Why couldn't a small party stand and buy TV advertising? That's illegal in New Zealand. That's disgusting to me. And so I would allow big money to come in or little money to come in, any money to come in, because at the end of the day, it's people's money. And I mean, you think, I think we over-egg this idea that um, money can buy politics, even in the United States. They spend massive amounts of money, um, but it doesn't buy the election. It's crazy. Yeah, you do have people that get a whole lot wasted on them and go nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, what you do need is platforms, and this is the great thing about the internet, as long as we can rein in the big tech from restricting people, is that you can have people like um, Robert Kennedy Jr. and Vivek Ramaswamy who are coming literally from nowhere. They're being excluded by the mainstream media, but they're making a great play on Twitter. And I can imagine now the same thing happening in New Zealand. Um, goodness knows, you know, someone could get going on Facebook or Twitter and cut a nerve and away you go. Oh, my goodness, wouldn't that be amazing? And I guess that's what Donald Trump did, you know. Right, um, and also and, before and before him that there was Ron Paul, from Paul before him. Indeed. And, again, it's like uh, Tesla and Elon Musk. He doesn't advertise his cars. Um, but everyone knows about Tesla. So there are huge opportunities to get around it and to succeed. Um, but again, that will become something that they will regulate because they do not want to be opened up to competition. Um, and that's exactly what the this whole idea of this being a promoter. You'll notice that there'll be unions in there who will be registered as promoters because they're spending money to support the Labour Party. Not only do they donate donate to the Labour Party, but they spend money to promote the Labour Party through the various causes that the Labour Party has adopted. And in return, the Labour Party makes it compulsory under certain rules to give that union money. So you can be working in a workplace, be compelled to give money to the union, which then donates that money to the Labour Party, spends money to support the Labour Party, and you yourself vote national. Yeah, yeah. It's a, that, that is a level of corruption, if you think about it, that the, the, the party, when in government, compels money off you to support like a the mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, the National Party don't do that sort of stuff. There's a sort of... A, a, there's a threat of decency in them um, that they've never gone along with that stuff but it's sort of like the Labour Party doesn't hesitate never has you know whatever it takes to win they will do and they get away with it it's not it, we, it, we're so inured to it that we don't think that's odd how can it be that I have money taken out of my wage packet to support a union whom I don't support to support a political party in the election campaign who I don't support and I'm trying to fundraise and sell cakes to help the party that I do support. That's how, how can a union do that with its money? And it's also complicated that if I try to tell my neighbor about it, they don't give a 
shit because they just it's just all they're, they're, they're no, it. that's right and i mean um you know that's why we have um a tough politics and it's very easy to get disillusioned because we've established these uh old parties that's what it is it's tough rules oh my goodness if you think the resource management act is tough no. you should try looking at our electoral laws there you have it you're on real talk with rodney hyde really check radio we've been back to the basics of political standpoint talking about how you spend your money or your time or putting up billboards to help a political cause regulated that's tane webster and rodney hyde for another week People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I have to say, when I normally see someone struggling in politics and doing so poorly at it, my heart goes out to them. But uh, in the case of Mr. Hipkins, I make an exception. Um, I'm loving watching him flail around. Uh, why? Because of what he and his government did to us and to our great country, not just through the lockdown, although that was bad enough in the vaccine mandates, but through the whole, all the years of their leadership. What a terrible performance it has been. Having said that, I can't get excited about any other parties either, but I am looking amongst those smaller parties for where I'll cast my vote. But back to Mr. Hipkins. He created a bit of international uh, outrage when he said, listen, we didn't force anyone to take the jab. It was their choice. Oh, my goodness. You say to someone, take the jab or lose your job, lose your house, lose your career, lose almost your entire life, social life, and be ostracized and attacked. Nah, didn't make you. It was your choice. Well, that's a bit like, oh, how could it go? What would be an example that Mr. Hipkins could understand? This is a struggle, isn't it? I don't know what he can understand, truthfully. He's only good at one thing, and that's politics. And he's, at the moment, offside and not good at that. And he's totally failing in this campaign like I've never seen. I'm loving it. 
I'm sorry I say that, but I am. I'm loving it. Um, I'm enjoying the news again. Just reading about the failing Labour campaign is enjoyment to me. I must be a bad person. Um, but back to this, it would be like, oh, I don't know, me working at a law firm, senior partner and all that. And I say to the young intern, would you like to come and have dinner with me? And if you don't, you'll lose your job. It's her choice, right? But who on earth would think that's acceptable? Who on earth wouldn't think that that poor young woman was being coerced? And yet here's Mr. Hipkins suggesting that get the jab or lose your job, it's your choice, isn't coercion. But think of it like this, and this is me on a few days from him saying that and causing the outrage. It is actually quite quite marvellous because that just shows you how far this political worm has turned in the sense that they could do really, really well in the last election by being the tough guys. And remember when all our politicians, uh, Winston Peters included, were standing up to see who could be the toughest and the bulliest and the roughest on getting everyone jabbed and keeping everyone locked down and everyone obeying the rules, everyone keeping three metres away from each other. Oh, my goodness, staying in your little bubble. Oh, my goodness, not travelling. It was like a race to the bottom in terms of all these political leaders. And it was the ones that were the most hardcore, the most tyrannical, who were the most popular. And now... Mr. Hipkins is running away from it. Oh, no one was coerced. No, 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 that was just a misunderstanding. It was all just a, what was it? A gentle prodding, a gentle suggestion that you get a jab. That tells me that the mood has changed and Mr. Hipkins flailing around in this failing campaign has picked up on it. And that's a good thing because that means more and more of us are waking up to the unnecessary, disgusting tyranny that this government and this opposition inflicted on us all. Because now even the Prime Minister and then Minister of Health isn't prepared to own it. They're wanting to spin it. They're wanting to minimise. They're wanting to say it was hardly a thing. Well, it doesn't wash for us. I don't think it washes for anyone. But it shows a, what's the word? It shows a sort of positive development that maybe we're becoming out of a spell and we're beginning to look back on those years and are more balanced with a better understanding of what was done, what worked, and more particularly, what didn't. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Please send me text 2057, email me inbox at rallycheck.radio. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio, and, and now we have current politics with Di Landy 
and Marie Buskey on counterculture. For the full interview, head over to our replays. But until then, enjoy this clip, which helped my understanding so much. Politics. It's been an interesting old time in politics. It sure has. And I just, mm. New Zealand first have really made it exciting. <laughs> Otherwise, it was quite boring. Just the old, same old rehash of everything. You know, a national today going, oh, we're going to burn cell phones. Really? Really, mate? Is that all you could come up with? I have to, I I heard, heard, look, I have to admit, I heard that. And, you know, whilst I don't think it's particularly helpful for kids to be on their phones whilst they're at school, surely that's up to the individual school to decide, not the government. Yes, and I'm quite sure that teachers aren't in their classroom letting kids spend all lesson on their phones. I certainly know at the, the school that my sons are at, the boys can have phones at school, but they need to stay in their bags while they're at school. So they are literally yeah. there. So if they've got to make arrangements with parents and pickups and all that kind of yes. thing, you know, my boys will often come home and say, oh, so-and-so got his phone taken off him today because he was doing, using it when he shouldn't be using it. I love walking around there when I've gone to go and do stuff. And the boys are doing things like playing handball and touch, a shocker, stuff like that. Shocker, and not on their shocker. Phones. Yeah, hey, so, but they shocker. didn't. Yeah, but they didn't need a government edict to tell them to do that. It's For me, that is just an authoritarian, heavy-handed policy that's been designed for those who have been clutching and hand-wringing, thinking, yes, this yes. will fix education. Well, yes. take all the yes. gender woo-woo out of education. Yeah, that could be the RAC out and put the science and biology and all that back in. And how about a bit of maths and English? You know, New Zealand has an appalling illiteracy rate. Mm. I'm stunned because, you know, I'm from the generation where education was your key to get out of here and to work through the stratas. I come from, and my parents worked all the hours God sent them to privately educate us. And there's seven of us. So, you know, that's my backdrop. And so I've had to have a big, fat tuggy for education. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really sorrowful. I want all these academics, get out. Just get out. Just keep it to yourselves. We shouldn't have all this academic bloody frou-frou as policy like Kitty Kitty's bill was wanting to legislate mannerisms, mannerisms for the LGBTAFs, you know? What mannerisms? How can you legislate mannerism? What, so she's trying to legislate a limp wrist or something? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, what, a mince and a limp wrist? This is, this is the words. Gender identity or expression, which means the self-identified gender, name, pronoun, appearance, mannerisms, or other gender-related characteristics of a person with or without regard to the person's assigned sex at birth. We must be really dumb if we have to legislate that gender and sex are different. Why do we need to make a law? All I see is this is a Trojan horse to backfoot the hate speech laws on. Because if mm. this goes through, misgendering will be a crime. Dead naming will be a crime. So, you know, if you're calling Eli Rubber Chicken, he will become a crime because his preferred pronouns, her and she. Oh, gosh, um, I'd be in trouble. I spend all my time calling Chanel he. Yes. Chanel yes, see, this will become a crime. <laughs> and, and then... So dead naming, so calling Shane Winter Shane, that'll be a crime. Will Nanny on the Marae get hauled away and arrested because she won't let the men go in while the mukua are in there? Because it'll be a crime. 
You know, I don't think people have thought this through enough. It's a very slippery slope. I mm. just, and, and to put intersex in there, and like what she said about intersex was quite hilarious, really. Like, you know, it's a shame it's not a comedy. Colonisation resulted in suppression, criminalisation and pathologizing of those people and resulted in takatapui often not being accepted today. So it's gone from being widely accepted where it didn't exist, to being like how it is today. The manner of explicit human rights protections will help redress the historical trauma this has caused. I love this historical trauma. What is this historical trauma? Who's suffering from it? And who's paying for the therapy for all those people who have been traumatised by what and, yes, <laughs> and that the intersex hour, we looked at them as sent to us as a gift. Like, how can you put all 2023's language and ideas and ideals into the 1800s and go, nope, nope, that's how it was. Yep, yep, no, they were terrible. They were terrible. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> you know, don't hold back now, darling. <laughs> because I think of the, um, on, you know, the TRAs today mm. and how awful they are. And then I think about our um, fantastic warriors we had back in the day. And there's no way Tarotaha would take one of them on a war raiding party, flapping around with the mannerisms. No way. And the only reason if he did, there are two reasons that they would have been taken. And the first reason would be for the bloodlust and the men to do their sex thing with. All right? Because of mm-hmm. all that height and, oh, man, boom. All right? And the second reason would be for Kai Tangata. I don't think there'd be any other reason to take these high-needs individuals on a warring party. I can't see it myself. No. Hey. Well, as you and, said, where are the songs? Where are the legends? I mean, I don't remember any songs or any legends, as you said, about the Great Trans Warrior. I mean, that hasn't turned up yet, has it? No, there's no carving, no more tear, no tukutuku panels. There's absolutely nothing. And then trying to insert it as if it was so and using the treaty. Now, this using the treaty really irks me because people are in a position where, you know, this government has just race-baited so much that people think we as Māori are really privileged. Mm. Yet the Māori I know aren't. Mm. But also, too, it's, you and I, I think, touched on it last time that we talked, right? There are definitely, there is an elite, a self-appointed elite within Māori Dim right now who have gotten themselves into positions and power of governance. Dr. Elizabeth Kirikiri, not for much longer, but, you know, she is a, a classic yes. example of the genre. And they are not representative of those quiet, achieving, hardworking Māori, either at home, within the whānau, at the rohi, on the marae, and all of those places who don't need to be sought and have accolades applied on them. They just want to do the mahi. They don't want to be bothered with any of this. But unfortunately, you have the likes of them who have gone and taken this ideology, which essentially is cultural Marxism at its core, it's been run through via a few dead French philosophers and the American academic system and has come out into this critical social justice behemoth that we have today. They've looked at that and thought, oh, we can use that. They've taken it, applied a, a New Zealand bent on it, and then they're using it really, I think, to just establish uh, their own power and their own status and damn the torpedoes for anyone else in Māoridom. 
Yes, and uh, I think uh, my sister Philippa said it best when she goes, this is attacking the very bedrock of our civilization. And I thought, oh, yes, this, you're right. This is what this is doing. You know, Māori dim aside, this whole gender identity is attacking the bedrock. And these philosophers, you know, and, and now we're celebrating John Money, the known Peter West, and him and Kinsey. I mean, what? You know, it's just what? No, 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 no. Their research was absolutely abhorrent. I, I don't know if you've read it, Murray, but these men were given live children mm. to pedophiles, and then they have to had to self-record the child's reactions to being raped. And of course, they all got recorded as orgasms. This is still what's running all the sexual health education stuff throughout the states and everywhere. You know, the hey Hakaputanga said no foreign interests. And now this is as foreign as we can get from who we are as people. And it's just in our face. And, you know, if they just listen to WPATH, which is the World Health Transgender Health, yada, yada, and we have PATHA here. And we've got Jamie Veal, who's on both. He's a pommy man who thinks he's a woman. Is he and the eunuch? Yes, yes, they're, they're the ones pushing the eunuch identity. And, and I'm really angry about that when I think of our strapping young Māori men. You're turning them into eunuchs for your own self-gain. How dare you? How dare you? Mm. This isn't real. This isn't true. It's all experimental, and you're pushing it through. We've got, you know, half a dozen countries that said, oh, 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 hold up, hold up. We've got lawsuits happening in the States, lots mm. of lawsuits happening. There's some coming through the UK as well. You know, it's just so typical. Women are saying, hold, hold, hold on, and they're going, shut up. The thing I really find sad about this too is that they've gone and used, I, I spoke to Professor Sheila Jeffries last week and oh, they've lovely. gone and I said to her, we were talking about how a lot of the stuff has gone, they've gone and taken all the hard work that particularly gay and lesbians have made just for equal human rights and dignity. Mm-hmm. That then gets achieved and then all of it now has been weaponized and they have turned it all against them. And I said to her, you know, they especially lesbians, are so not down with this. And they're being suppressed in silence. Again, not just women, but in lesbian yeah. women. You know, I mean, I just see, a, you know, when I first started um, learning about this, oh, I don't know, six years ago or something, I was thinking, oh, that's just men trying to get into lesbians all over again since forever. But, you know, we're being told that girls have a penis and boys have babies. Well, that's wrong. You know, To me, you are stealing children's identity before they've grown into it. And that's without medication or telling them they're born in the wrong body. You're taking their identities off them. Mm. And, and then all this birth certificate. How do people find their genealogy? They're looking for their father, but dad's now a woman. Medically, I think we all have the human right to know our biological DNA, our whakapapa. You know, I believe that is a human right to know this. I could be wrong here, but I believe women carry the haemophilia gene. We don't get it for obvious reasons, but we carry it. How are you going to find out that when the birth certificates are changed? You know, there's a lot of repercussions from this, and there's nothing but vanity papers. And and to say that Māori celebrated this and we took it as a gift because they came to teach us, what a load of rot. But if, if we don't put a halt to this, and because it works in really well to my last interview about the state changing the language, 
by the time my moko who's five, by the time she's ten, everything Kitty Kitty's saying will be taken as sooth mm. and the reality will be lost. She's trying to change tikanga. Tikanga never changes. Kawa changes. You're changing our tikanga and it never changes. Tikanga is firm, it's set. It is the kawa that changes around where we go. You know, for 103 iwis, you can't tell me she's consulted with three, let alone 103. Talking to each other in Parliament isn't consulting, eh? Because I'm sure that's what they do. She'll probably, you know, look over at Kitty when she goes, hey, Kitty, what do you reckon? And she'll go, yeah. It's hardly a consultation. Hmm. And these elite Maldives, and this is why I'm against co-governance as well for that very reason. You know, since when do these elites get the right to not have public consultation? That they just sign it off. That's putting hapu and iwi and hapu and whānau against each other just on say-sos and personalities. It's ridiculous. Hmm. And it's also who gets to set the priorities as well, because surely, I mean, there's been these shootings recently, not just up the road from you, and a lot of them are gang related and all of the stuff going on. Surely there are bigger fish to fry within Māori communities right now than Elizabeth Kitty worrying about entrenching language mannerisms and the like into those sorts of <laughs> bills. I mean, I've come off the Māori role because I'm just tired of their pontificating and grandstanding. New Zealand Māori youth are killing themselves at a higher rate than our entire population. We've got 50% of them leaving school being illiterate and they want to dance around and pontificate over some bullshit. I'm, I'm not on to it. So I took myself off the Māori role as a protest. You know, there's far more reaching urgent needs for Māori than this. So from your perspective, what are some of the things? What, like, if Di Landy were in politics... Dialandi, we're in politics, and in the political party of common sense, what would be your three key factors for Māori right now? Right now, it would be lose the gender ID Mm -hmm. because it's sterilising our whakapapa. It's tearing it asunder. Get rid of these elite co-governance. I mean, Tamahiri hasn't even paid his loan back. There'd be none of this stuff happening. You see, for me, having your hand in the till, you lose all credibility. Well, which till? I think there's more than one, isn't there? That's right. You know, and I just get pictures of a whole lot of piggies at the trough. But um, so, so there'd be none of this bloody backhanding nepotism rubbish that's been happening. I thought we had a party-hopping law against that, but all oh, doesn't appear to be. So, yeah, we'd get rid of gender ID. Co- co-governance would go as well. And then, I mean, it's such a big ask, Murray. You know, we've got the housing issue. We've got the poverty issue. You you know yourself when you go visit your people out the country, they are, it's grinding poverty because they can't do anything on their land. And then if we get those SNA in, SNA, they'll never be able to build on their land. Actually, that's a really good point. So is Māori land subject to SNAs as well? I believe so. I believe so, from what I've been reading. I mean, I could be wrong, but from what I've been reading, and then as as you know, you can't get a mortgage on Māori land because of the um, multiple owners and what mm. have you. Um, you can't get loans on it. So, yeah, I, as far as I know, SNA is across everywhere. All the stuff's come in the marae. I said it last time. I'll say it again. Get the government out of our marae. Mm. 
And then, of Get course, you throw it, and you and you throw the extra complexities that we have on the east coast, of course, with yes. um, a number of areas now falling under these uh, categories in terms of rebuilds and compulsory purchasing. Well, that that is a conundrum in itself, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. for a lot of these iwi and um, hapu, they've. You know, it's taken a long time to either hold on to that land, get that land back, settle that land, and now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, no, you can't live there and you can't build there because you're not going to be covered because there could be a cyclone or we're not going to support you if you choose to stay. You know, you're just hamstrung before you've even started. I don't agree with co-governance, and the reason I don't agree with it is because it's the elites, again, getting away without public consultation. So they, you know, and setting the hapu and iwi and whānau against each other just on someone's say-so. It would be like being at home on the marae and having an argument and and then instead of sorting it out with the iwi, you go and ring the police. <laughs> yeah. You know, you two different systems, choose which one. But I do believe Māori land is part of the SNAs and, and you know, they have enough trouble building on it. Um, all the crime, this hotel living, and it's just generation after generation. Mm. I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think they could have built a few more houses myself. One of the things I do wonder about too is the level of uh, government support and not enough in terms of supporting Māori either to be within those wider extended family groups to stand on their own two feet and live self-sufficiently and as you said education is the ticket out actually take that education and actually do something with it and be able to have these careers but then the flip side of that is those that have had all of those privileges and done with that are some of the ones that are currently sitting in the beehive believing that oh yeah we're out here now we're better than everybody else and do as I say and not as I do. Yeah, yes, and pulled the ladder up after them. Yeah. yeah. You know, just, whoa. Yeah, it's um, it's really sad. I'm, I'm really saddened by all this race baiting because I love being a Māori. You know, I was up at Parihaka just the other week and, you know, visiting whānau and I just love it. And then, you know, you get on social media and, oh, gosh, it's so north and south. You know, oh, they're getting 50 bucks to go to the doctors. Shouldn't they go to the doctors anyway? I'm thinking, well, they probably would, but um, the car's not registered, the car's not warranted, and they've got no petrol. What do you suggest? Mm. Um, well, this is so this is one of the things. So I covered the, the Māori Health Authority report, right? Yeah. And one of the things that frustrated me with it was it's been a year. And it was the lack of outcomes. And the fact that even when they identified areas like exactly what you're talking about, those social issues in regards to access, because a good chunk of Māori live in rural communities. So access is always going to be an issue. I mean, my aunt is a district nurse, and she has been a nurse up on the East Coast for forever. She's in her 80s. She still gets dusted off to go and help with clinics sometimes because they can't get staff or the phone call will go. And because of course they'll breeze in up from town, they'll come in, they'll try and do a clinic at the the little district hospital yeah. there. And then of course people are not turning up and they're like, well, of course they're in the paradigm of, oh, here's an appointment, here's the date, they'll just turn up. It's like, well, yes, but they don't actually even understand that often to get to that appointment at that little regional base, it could still be another 90 minute to two hour trip Yes. On a what is a glorified dirt track? Yes, all of those elements are not actually understood by those in town. 
And and then even in town, it's, it's the same example as the mum with four kids, they've all got bung ears, and instead of putting all their appointments out, the air department on one day, they're every day, you know, instead of all together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. And that's where the disappointing yeah. thing for me was with that authority, right? There are a lot of really incredible, I had quite a rant about this, there are some really incredible people who are actually working with Māori Health doing some great jobs. I hooked up and dropped some stuff off during the flood relief with um, the Haora, Turanga Haora up in Gisborne. And they're doing great work, you know, great yes. work around diabetes and diet mm-hmm. and getting all this really good stuff. And this authority had the ability to potentially apply a much better, more cohesive framework to get outcomes, and it's achieved nothing yeah. in a year, nothing. So all that's gone and happened the road to hell is paved with lots of good intentions, and Māori have had the has been screwed the pooch yet again. Again, you know, I I see uh, you know, no matter what name you give it, you're just getting fat off the backs of my people. You can call it research, you can call it a health authority, but it's one and the same. We know the outcomes, we know the problems. They haven't changed. They're still the same. I mean, they might be a bit more expensive, but we know this stuff. Mm. You know, it's it's not a secret. And like I say, I just I just view it as oh yeah, just getting fat off the backs of people. And you know, you've got your PhD through doing that. Good on you. But how did you help the iwi? And because I don't think your average Kiwi understands the grinding poverty that these rural Maori are living under because they're on their sovereign land. I mean, all all good and well that they're on their land and power to them. And I'm because I know a few Maori that live sovereign without any government help, and it's not an easy walk to be completely sovereign no benefits anything like that just all the work and they're on their land you know that isn't easy to do the kids aren't registered anywhere you know they don't have birth certificates they've only got marae records (laughs) and so it's been really nice to see children accepted to mainstream school on the marae records so yeah. that's that's a turn up, but you know, and so it should be so, you know, because now the birth certificates are meaningless. There's no point registering your baby. You can lie. You can say you had a bloody boy when you had a girl. It's just what? It's just madness. So all this money, it's just what is it? Good money after bad. Just throwing buckets of money we don't have at middle management. For the full interview, head over to our replays. But until then, enjoy this clip which helped my understanding. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. difference. Oh, that was another lovely show, another week gone by. Aren't we blessed with our guests? I did enjoy Michael Drennan. What a story. Just did it. Just made a newspaper. Oh, my goodness. And quality stuff. Also, Odin, what hope we have for the future when we have young men like this? 
able to reason, to think, to explain so clearly, oh my goodness, he would end 90% of all politics. And always lovely to have Tane Webster along uh, talking about politics explained. Please send me a text at 2057. Email me inbox at rallycheck.radio. We'll talk next week. See you then. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio.